0: Welcome to the third episode of the AISTS Alumni Talks. Uh, Today, we're gonna be discussing the most popular sport in the world, that is football, from three different and very unique perspectives. We have uh, representatives of the federations, the brands, and the clubs here today, and we're really looking forward to to having this discussion. I'd like to remind everybody of our format. Uh, We are going to have about a 45-minute panel discussion with our experts, followed by a 15 minute Q&A period, where anyone in our live audience, uh, we just ask that you please hit the raise hand icon when a question comes up, and we will call on you based on the order that you raise those hands. Um, I would like to take this time to remind everybody that this is being recorded and will be going on our YouTube channel. Uh, so please uh, keep it appropriate. And uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to having this conversation. So. Uh, Claudio, would you uh, would you mind taking over and uh, introducing our expert panel?
1: Sure. Thank you, Peter. Uh, good uh, evening. Good afternoon. Good morning. Anywhere you are. Um, thank you for the three of them joining us. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce sidi uh, Sidi Valenius is she's, uh, she's from two thousand seventeen. She's Swedish. Uh, working. At the moment, with Kleba first, but with an experience for for a few uh, for a few important uh, for a few important associations, she will be uh, she will be with us more into details as soon uh, as soon as I as soon as I present also Marely Flores, with is, uh, IST two thousand eight, currently with FIFA for now a long time uh, managing women's football, and last but not least Tom two thousand seven. Yes, uh, with my year, actually, Tom now working from Panama. So he's uh, in charge of the Latin America football for Adidas. So thank you for the three of them. Uh, They will will introduce themselves a bit more into details. uh, uh, Right now, first question for them, uh, I guess, is is, uh, what we all uh, as passionate fans and and, uh, and, um, specialists of football ask ourselves, how is the current uh, beautiful game coping with the, with the lack of spectators in the stadia from, for, uh, from your point of view. So, if City can can start with that, then of course Marilee and Tom can, can give uh, your opinion.
2: Well, thank you very much for having us here. It's great to join this panel. Um, and uh, as you mentioned shortly, I'm from a newly started uh, company called Club Affairs. Uh, We're a football advisory group, Um, so we give advice and services and support to clubs, leagues, organizations. So I'm in constant contact with different clubs around mostly in Europe, but also a bit in South America. Um, And your question about how how clubs are dealing with this with uh, a lack of spectators. I mean, it's quite clear for all of us (laughs) loving this sport that it's really, you know, it's not the same without supporters. Um, and we we just published a, a report actually together with some um, some collaborators at a firm called Edity Sports uh, that I'm happy to share with uh, the people attending this webinar as well about um, the community and how they are affected and how football clubs are dealing with this crisis and how the fans also are dealing with this and some uh, strategies and some Um, ways to mitigate this crisis and um, yeah, to overcome.
0: Thank you. You, uh, And Claudio, we're on the same page. Uh, Marilee, would you mind uh, stepping in now?
3: Yes, thank you. I'm very happy to share my ideas and thoughts with all of you. Uh, I mostly work for the women's tournaments, although I have some opportunities also to do uh, men's World Cup and also Last year, I did beach soccer World Cup. This year, I'm focusing more on the under 20 women's World Cup that is going to happen uh, at the beginning of next year because it had to be postponed. And this is one of the things that uh, we need to deal with. Uh, also, with the lack of uh, people in the stadiums, We, it's one possibility that we might have, but nothing is confirmed. There are too many uncertainties while well, we are getting prepared for the tournament. So we need to see the evolution and for that we are also in contact every day with the hosting countries of our different tournaments in this case uh, Costa Rica we also have the under 17 in india in february so we are daily monitoring their daily also uh, getting the feeling from the national association who is organizing on how we can deal with it and which strategies we need to follow for this because it's really a new situation that we need to be prepared with or without spectators
4: Hello everybody. Uh, first of all, pleasure to meet you. To be here today uh, in the Alumni forum. forum, it's a it's a pleasure to see also some familiar names and many unfamiliar names. So for the ones that are unfamiliar, nice to meet you. Um, since here, let's say in the middle of Latin America, COVID is still very present. So not only football is without public, we're still locked uh, up in our houses since about uh, five months now but it's a it's it's a very let's say daily confrontive thing that we're still coping with um I think let's say my my role what I'm doing today, I work for adidas. I mean everybody knows the brands for seven years now in in Latin America. the first five years I was first in Mexico and then then two years in Panama uh, working specifically on sports marketing, so all for, all the sports relations for Adidas all well, the uh, sponsoring contracts with uh, clubs, federations, athletes of all sports. And now since a few months, it's, uh, it's leading the, the business unit football in, in Latin America. So basically the full 360 business from Mexico all the way down to, to Chile, Argentina. Um, business unit means from product to overall strategy, campaigns, uh, communication, digital, including uh, including sports marketing here as well. So quite a challenging business, of course, now during COVID, because although Adidas in general, and like any other company, and basically is very hit by, by COVID, I think in football is pretty much one of the hardest hit categories that we have. Um, so yeah, you can think about the club relationships that we have with, with sponsor, in terms of sponsorships and the contracts you need to revise because we lose a lot of visibility. Uh, the brand campaigns that you have, the, the storytelling is completely different. The platform is different. The consumer has a different mindset right now, uh, and not, let's not even talk about product sales, all so the, the millions of inventory in terms of shoes and jerseys that we're not selling right now that will have an impact until even until 2021. So yes, it's a very present topic, um, but at the same time, it's also probably offering even some good things um, when you li- literally look at the calibration of the whole sports world. So, and of stuff to talk about, I would say.
0: Definitely. Thank you all. And, um, and, and Tom, you, you just mentioned it and you all briefly touched on it as well. Um, things are going to have to change. Uh, going forward, business as usual is not what it was six months ago or certainly a year ago. Um, so I wonder if each of you could, could maybe take, a, take your turn and discuss a little um, what changes, your, your whether it's federation brand or organization uh has had to make and how you see how you see yourselves being successful within the sport as it's changed moving forward and and why don't we uh go to marley first if you don't mind
3: yeah sure well in our side uh from federation you are the main uh, part in terms of the context with the national associations in order to organize the tournament so for us it's very important to have plan A, B, C, D, E, because anything can happen, the situation changes every day. And for us, it's very important that everyone is safe, which is our priority. So we are also, uh, we have developed as well, um, the back to play uh, measures. Also we uh, have a task force with the medical team that they are developing these, these regulations and also benchmarking with other organizations. So we can also follow some patterns that have been tested. I also think that um, in order to to make the changes or to implement uh, according to what is happening in the world, you need to keep very much in contact with all your stakeholders. For example, you need to digitalize more. You need to, uh, if you will have spectators in your stadium, you need to take all the measures you can in order to make it safe. Uh, This also applies for the teams. Teams, even if they don't have a spectators, they need to be also safe in the stadiums in their practices. So, um, these are all important issues that we need to take into account. That one year ago, some months ago, we didn't even have to uh, consider. And also, you need to keep the fans engaged. So, I think that's one of the most challenging parts. But now, with the digital world, you can create content, you can keep uh, spectators informed, even if the game is not going to happen with spectators, they need to know when it's happening, if it's going to be broadcasted, where it's going to be broadcasted. So I think it's a whole new uh, mindset that you need to have and you need to be open and ready to face the challenges that come every day and in different parts of the world. That's also something that makes it very interesting that, okay, maybe in Europe now, some things are easing, but in Latin America, as Tom said, It's only like the peak now of the of the pandemic. So yeah, you need to take into account how is the whole world working. And it's very, very challenging. But it's also very interesting. and It's a very good learning curve as well.
0: Thank you. And uh, I guess we'll just go in order on the screen here. So Siri, uh, if you could talk about that from the from the club's perspective.
2: Yeah, well, I agree to a lot of what Marilee was saying right now. Um, I think we haven't seen the full repercussion of this crisis yet. I think still, I mean, we, we don't really know what to expect and and the long term consequences for this, because during the spring, I mean, all clubs, the whole football ecosystem, everyone was just in crisis modus and just trying to solve the, the first shock and the crisis and what to do. and just get the competitions to to finalize them because of all the sponsorship deals or the broadcasting deals, etc., and just trying to cope with all the, the changes. So I think we, we don't know yet uh, everything that actually will change um, afterwards, um, also in relation to kind of calendar and these kind of political uh, decisions, but also the transfer market or Uh, global movement. I mean, we don't really know yet where this will take us. And I I heard today in France also, I mean, the cases are increasing again. So it's not just Latin America, it's also in Europe where it's increasing. So um, we don't really know yet. But uh, for sure, clubs uh, are very creative on coming up with uh, new solutions and uh, they're very flexible to be able to change. And I think that's what we have seen. Um, to to new rules and new um, health uh, checks and and everything. Um, I think a major change for many people within football is that um, they were not allowed to decide for themselves. Uh, And I think that was kind of a shock this spring um, that actually a government stepped in and said, you're not allowed to to have games or sports. And I think that's very new uh, (laughs) because they're so used to always being able to decide for themselves. Uh, But I think some trends that we are already seeing when we when we speak to different clubs is that a lot of things will change and there's going to be a lot of ownership changes of of clubs. Um, There have been discussions, of course, with uh, the Newcastle deal has been very much out in the media and Roma has been sold, etc. But I think a lot of small and medium sized clubs are out for sale. So I think there'll be a lot of changes uh, happening and a lot of restructuring within the clubs um, and a lot of players moving around, maybe moving home to a greater extent. Um, So, well, it's going to be interesting to see all the, uh, when we look back in a few years and see everything that actually came out of this crisis.
1: Uh, Let let me focus a little bit more on to the fan side. Um, Because, I mean, we've seen already in the past, uh, it's been six months already, probably a bit less, five months, uh, do you really see the 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 change into the how the, the football is consumed how is, I mean it's obviously more digital but is appetite still there is uh, we are we are seeing the, a switching in the interests of uh, of fans or we are still uh, we are all still there waiting for for the old football to come and at this moment we are still using it and consuming it what's your opinion tom let's start with you
4: i think that's a, that's a tough question, and actually that's what we think about actually every day, well not every day, but quite a lot about in the office and, and really also, okay, what is the role as a brand there? But I think right now what is happening is that actually the role of football is changing um, because it's not all about football anymore. It's more, much more about togetherness. It's about coming out together out of this crisis and really having this, uh, it's, it's more like a, a, it's passion, it's a driver for looking positive into the future. And because it's the way that football is back on pitch, it's a distraction for many people. That uh, for months it wasn't, and let's say they have it now. Let's say tough and personal lives. So I think um, the role of football in that sense is changing. It's also if we look at it specifically for Adidas, it's what we are now missing. It's yes, I mean you see fantastic reactions. I mean I think the new concept of the uh, the Champions League, despite the fact that there is no public uh, on the, on the, the tribunes, I think. The, the quality of the matches were really good. Um, it was very attractive, let's say, the, this final concept of the, of the UCL Champions League. It's saw the same, the MLS, what they done, uh, did with the start of the tournament, of having a tournament format in, in Disney. At least for the fans, those are newnesses and was really, really, really nice. And really, the, let's say the owners reacted really well on, on the presented situation. Nevertheless, well, I think where football also now needs to reach out to professional football is to the whole amateur part because that is still blocked in many, many parts. So people are still not able to play football. They're only able to, to watch football. And as long as that takes, at some point there will be a disconnection. So that, and of course it's a brand, that's where our consumer is. So it's highly relevant that for amateur football is back on pitch. And You try to connect through digital storytelling through the clubs we work with, through the players. But I think there is also a fundamental part now for federations, especially for clubs, that they take this also, this governmental role, they have power, they have visibility, and they they are listened to, that they also in the public discourse in the relations with their their governments, that they take really also this initiative to try to improve the conditions, let's say on a national level, uh, depending on the political discourse in each country, to improve the situation also for amateur football. And I still don't see that happening so much, and I would love to see that a little bit more. Because it's not only football is not only what we see on tv the big chunk of the pyramid is really amateur football and right now and during the during the whole crisis they are not impressed yet That's let's say what i feel a little bit
1: um cd answer you to, to, to your question yeah yeah did. <laughs> yes, so yeah i so see the pretty scary picture uh, just just give me a second because i would like to uh, just having a look at the at the at the participants of this, we have a, a nice nice uh, participants from all over the world. I would just say thank you for for one of our of friends, Ashiko is in Japan right now. It's probably 2 2:20 in the morning. So really really motivated to be to be here. Sorry sorry to interrupt, CD. What's your what's your take onto this uh, onto this uh, onto this? I mean, how do you how do you how is football is consumed? And as Tom is saying, it's really like a disconnection going to happen in the long term?
2: Yes, and that was also what I was trying to say as well, with the repercussions that will come much later. And exactly what Tom is saying, that if we lose the bottom of the pyramid, then you will lose fan interest in years to come, or talents even. Um, so it is really important to focus on the grassroots. And I think also the the big clubs need to realize this and need to uh, push for this to happen, that they can start playing again, uh, even though of course it needs to be within a safe environment. But um, and also maybe to redistribute some solidarity payments, or to help them, you know, the smaller clubs that cannot sustain themselves. And then I'm not talking about you know smaller professional football clubs, but you know the local clubs in local communities. I think it's very important that they get support so that they can continue, because otherwise it will be very difficult to sustain the the the, the big the top of the pyramid uh, in in a few years to come.
1: So you're you're in the odd seat now, Mareli, because obviously, I mean, it's uh, one thing is to have the top leagues to 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 run the competition because they can of course afford the the expenses of the of the sanitary measures. But if all of us want to go and play at the park, uh, how do we do that? I mean, it's something you, of course, I mean, under an amateur point of view, is something that uh, FIFA has the, of course, the. The, 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 federation, which, which runs the game. How can this be, uh, how is the next season going to, 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 look like for the amateur, in your opinion, for the amateur football?
3: Well, your main stakeholders as FIFA are the member associations. So this is towards who you need to address the issue. And it also depends on the, on the countries to, to do what they want with the solidarity fund that was sent to them. And it was also a special um, fund that was given for women's football. So it's up to them to distribute it. And it's also up to them to establish the policies together with the governments. Because uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I don't know if you saw, but the, well, um, the World, Health Organization, World Health Organization, they uh, said, yeah, we cannot establish a policy for all the countries the same. Because every country has a different uh, mindset, have different cultures are in a different stage of the, of the pandemic. So it's the same for the national associations. They need to see how they can best distribute those funds. And then, obviously, ideally, this reaches the clubs. But it's something that, from the top, you cannot control. I mean, your responsibility is to make sure that every country takes and has the same amount. And then it's up to them, to, as for the governments, to see how they deal with, with the situation. And I agree with Tom and, to, and with Siri regarding the togetherness that football gives. I think that having you have done the effort of finishing the Champions League season, the Europa League season, and also the Women's Champions League season, I think it's very good because it was, I was in a bar watching the match and it was such a nice thing that that you took for granted before uh, regarding to be with your friends watching the match, which was a super normal activity before. It was very nice and I think that this professional football on TV also gives some hope, you know, to other leagues now that many organizations have developed rules and regulations to uh, get back to play, they can also maybe adapt some of these ideas or some of these uh, deep research that has been done in order to also try to bring their people out and, and play. But uh, it's going to take a long time, but it will depend on the evolution of, of the pandemic in the different parts of the world.
4: You were in a bar in the mouth cap, right? Watching the game.
3: Yeah, it was outside, so it was, it was, it's like, it was a bit safe, <laughs> but I needed that, you know, like I was going to watch it by myself, but I'm like, no, I mean, this is my opportunity to be out of bit and feel this again, you know, it was, it was great. And I think that for the businesses, it's also good because they got some people there after a long, long time. So it was nice. All
4: right, that's, sorry, sorry to, to interrupt, but um, you're saying the business. I mean, the problem is now, I think, as you also see it here and, America, how long can you actually play without public? Mm. Uh, a few countries and a few clubs that really can survive on, on TV money. Uh, but basically the full economic of, let's say, the business models of the clubs are fully interrupted because, I mean, uh, they highly depend on stadium income. Uh, there's certain stadiums are designed a certain way that now fully falls away. You have sponsors like us.
3: The ticketing thing as well. I mean,
4: change contracts. So basically, their economical models are falling down, like like house uh, house of cards in a way.
3: It's
1: also the merchandising. Also, the merchandising is taking a hit, even though you actually could buy the the jersey of the football players online, right? Uh, We are also seeing a decline into the sales of items.
0: Yes. And I think, I think we, I'm sorry, Tom. Um, I, I think we actually have the the perfect person uh, in this, in our expert panel here to kind of speak to this. Siri, you deal with clubs of all sizes. Um, mm-hmm. So yes, as Tom said, there, there are clubs that are going to be, and leagues that are going to be hurt, but in the end, just fine with broadcast revenue and sponsorship revenue, whether it changes or not alone. Uh, but that's not every club by any means. And no. I was wondering if you could give us... Uh, any insight into those clubs that, that do need to fill their stadium uh, or figure something else out?
2: Well, as I said, I think they are very creative. But, of course, you can see that the, the leagues uh, where you have clubs that are really dependent on, on gate receipts, mainly uh, mainly from week to week even. I mean, you have the example of Scotland, and, and they cancel their leagues because... They could not sustain themselves just playing behind closed doors, but you have very like creative uh, ways of of getting around this and. And the fans have been I mean incredibly supportive when you have these crowdfunding campaigns and you mentioned Claudio that of course you can you can sell shirts online and there's been several projects from from clubs having you know okay buy this shirt for us as a crowdfunding thing and then the community gives something back to the club and helps the club and you have seen these really beautiful initiatives from many of the clubs but um, I know it's debated around Europe now, and UEFA is trying with the Super Cup final to bring some fans back. But even 20, 30 percent, it's going to be difficult for for many clubs. And of course, they have got, many of them have gotten support packages from the state. But I mean, they will not continue getting those. Uh, you know, when when it's you know a balance for the for the government, should we pay for more healthcare and having schools to open or football? Then of course, they cannot really validate that decision to 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 give football priority over something else Um, so it's going to be very tough for for clubs and i think you're going to see an economic divide in between the clubs that can play without fans and the clubs that can't Um, and it's going to be very polarizing in europe in in leagues and um within countries i think
4: if i may peter and claudio and my, my question for me to to city in this case since you're very close to clubs How do you see the whole transfer market and everything? Uh, Let's say the, the the value of players, I see it from the brand side, but let's say the actual playing contracts, do you see some calibration in there as well?
2: Well, I think for the very top, 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 I mean, you're still going to continue probably having the the same, but what I see for transfer market when we speak with more clubs, maybe from the the medium sized leagues, uh, the great majority in Europe, I think there's going to be a lot of Clubs trying to finalize, you know, to end contracts earlier with players that, you know, they they try to cut costs and get rid of salaries. So I think they're going to be a lot of free agents, you know, a lot of free players uh, moving around. So whoever can pay their salaries are probably going to have a very strong team. Uh, But that's probably what's going to happen on the more kind of on the greater chunk of the transfer market but I think that the top clubs I mean you you will still see some big deals this summer in this transfer window because those deals have probably already been done in winter Um, so I mean of course Manchester City can buy Messi if they want to but you know that's that's just the very very top of the pyramid and the the bigger part will probably be a lot of players I mean I'm Swedish and what I see at the trend in Sweden right now is that many uh, professional football players that are Swedish that are playing in other countries they're currently moving home and it could be just because it's a crisis, maybe they want to be closer to family, etc. but maybe that could be a trend as well that we see. Yeah.
4: Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense, actually.
1: Um, let me ch- change a little bit topic and uh, see the other side of the moon. As a uh, women's football, we uh, obviously, is not as big as, uh, as is men's football, but we've seen since the last World Cup that really the women's football took Took, uh, really, really was, took a lot of interest in different countries, in Europe, also, of course, in the US, uh, well actually it's probably Richie's peak. Uh, how is, I mean, if men's football is really badly hurt, as we as are talking about, how is going to be women's football, which obviously has a different uh, business, uh, business model? Uh, please, uh, please, uh, Marily, give, give us your opinion as you deal with women's football uh, day by day.
3: Yeah. Well, on no, a personal note, I think that I mean it will suffer as well as men's football. You know, uh, some teams that have women's teams, some they they have decided that they don't go back to play this season. Uh, some others have uh, not considered it for the next season. So, it's it's uh, we're in the same world and it's a domino effect. So. I don't think uh, it's uh, it's a different uh, story, you know, it's, it's exactly the same. And if uh, men's football is suffering, women's football is suffering as well. So it's a shame, but it is what it is. And well, I, I think that from now, we also need to, yeah, to, to think how we can survive in that sense, because Obviously France was a big milestone in women's uh, sports and women's football as well. Well, I don't like to call it women's football, but yeah, it's, it's football at the end, it's the same, same game. Um, but yeah, I mean, we cannot escape from that and we will also get the consequences of this uh, situation. Now we are looking at 2023 as our flagship event for, for football and uh, for women next, next uh, edition. So, yeah, that's what I can tell you. I mean, I don't think there is any anything special about it. It's just the same uh, bad effect that has happened with the, with the men's football as well. So... Uh, history,
0: sorry, sorry, Peter. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I, I was about to interrupt uh, and and uh, follow up on something that, that Marley mentioned. Um, of course, football as a whole is taking a hit. And you see that women's football in certain clubs and certain leagues, uh, is not able to get the investment or is not going to get the investment that it looked like it may be, uh, may be getting. But at the same time, the top clubs who already have invested in women's football seem to even be reinvesting and investing even further in it lately. Um, uh, news that just that recently, uh, you know, came out was uh Manchester City had signed uh, the American player Rose Lavelle, who you know that's that's a significant investment, and for any European club to be drawing a an American star, she's maybe the best player on the American team over over to Europe. It shows that they really are um, putting a focus on the women's game. Uh, so despite despite these troubles, um, it seems like the investment when it can be made is still being made, and I was wondering. If Tom, uh, if you could speak to that on the, on the brand side in Latin America, is, is Adidas seeing, seeing the value and in investing in, in women's football?
4: Let's say there's a difference between Adidas and Latin America um, still, because it's on, uh, let's say, in Latin America, you see a, a huge growth and importance in Mexico, for instance with the Mexican League, the Women's League, being very, very well seen. And really, there are some teams that fill stadiums like men, uh, like, for instance, Tigris and Monterrey. In uh, other parts of Latin America, it's still very masculine. And we, as a brand, we try to disrupt that a little bit. On a global level, yes, there's absolutely way more interest in, in female soccer. I have, to, I have to admit Nike is doing a fantastic job, in a way in their communication, they're way more aggressive than we are, and they're really localizing that, really uh, addressing the female player, not only for a topic of, let's say women's soccer, but really, I think, addressing the women as a whole through football uh, with a much wide, larger objective. And I think they do that really well, and we can for sure in our marketing learn from that. Internally, it has a lot of importance. Uh, products are being created, will come to the market, because we see clearly growth uh, in, that, in, uh, in the women's part. However, what is still unknown, where is actually the full potential? And we quantify the market. It's still a little bit a chicken or an egg story. We first have, let's say, the, 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 the women's sector fully developed and then we come, or we also fully develop and push growth. So it's still between, let's say, uh, finding that balance and a little, that, that tipping point. Um, but yes, it's for sure growing. Um also with, let's say, I think brands overall tend to focus much more on women than men uh, lately from a brand communication and from a consumption point of view.
3: Yeah, another positive side of that, thank you, Tom, is that um, the Women's World Cup in France gave a lot of exposure. So I think that's, that's an area of, of, of opportunity that we have in women's football because uh, the, also, some players from South Africa were showcased at the World Cup, and they are now in clubs, in, uh, even playing Women's Champions League. One of them is uh, in Glasgow. So I think that, yeah, we can also relate to that, to the top of the iceberg on this, on this side. But yeah, that's uh, what I wanted uh, to add.
4: Uh, just to add that, what I like to see, and I see a complete shift in this course, let's say. It's not, I see that really the, the, the discussion now is about opportunity anymore. It's not about uh, equality. Not an equality discussion. I see it's much more about the uh, opportunity that really are women almost put at the same level as men. And it's really, they don't have the same opportunity to really be on that level. And it's much, uh, much less and less a um, inequality discussion. And that I think is something that's very healthy and, um, to have really that discussion in a way. I hope that, you that I made myself clear.
2: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I, I think it's, it's, it's great, as Marley said, to have the World Cup and kind of, you know, push it forward a development, but with the top. But as you say, Tom, I think what focus needs to be on now is to ensure, you know, the basic necessities, because I mean, in some in some clubs, they don't even have proper football fields or pitches to play on. And that's, that could be the Spanish League, where they're complaining the clubs that, you know, the pitches are not, you know, perfect. And, you know, you would never tolerate that in men's football. But in women's football, it's still kind of tolerated and you still play on artificial turf, etc. So I think, you know, you, you kind of need to still, you know, focus on the basis and, you know, really um, before you can take the next step, because it's great to have that uh, World Cup and, and UEFA is now investing in the Women's Champions League. I was part of the task force um, to, to do the new format. And you can see that they're investing and they're getting new sponsors. Um, PepsiCo finally got their deal done uh, yesterday, it was announced. So, I mean, the brands are there and they're seeing the value of women's football. So I think we, you know, um, hopefully this crisis will not stop the process uh, too much. Um, And from a club side, what what I kind of see there is maybe the the new clubs that kind of um, just got into the game they might be a little bit hesitant now. Should we invest in this? We're losing so much money on other sectors. Should we really, you know, push women's football right now? But I think the clubs that really have it invested in their strategy and have been doing it for a long time. I mean, as you say, with, with Manchester City, uh, Peter, I mean, they've had success and they've built that for several years now. So I don't think they're going to give up on that. Uh, and the same with Lyon, same with many other clubs. I mean, it's so integrated into their their club and their strategy. So I mean, they're not really going to give up on that right now. And and then you can go to the the really small clubs. Actually, I would like to do that. Uh, you know, example as well that the standalone women's clubs. When I've been speaking to them this spring, they're like crisis. What crisis? We're always dealing with crisis. We never have resources. I mean, we're used to this. We're <laughs> we're survivors. So I'm not too worried about them either. But of course, you know, um, they still need support. Um, but I think I mean they're passionate about what they do. So I don't think they will just give up on this.
3: Yeah, I agree with you, Siri, because also clubs like Leon that have been consistently in the final of Women's Champions League, I mean, several times and they have won it. I remember when I was working at UEFA back in 2014 and I met the guys from Barcelona, the the, the women's team, and they were only starting the project and in very, very short time with investment and the resources, they made it to the final of the Champions League last year. So. I think that there is a lot of potential and there is a lot of opportunities to grow it fast. You know, it's just, they need to to be, there's need to be investment there, but Mm -hmm. some clubs do it it and they do it well.
2: But you can see that the, 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 you can really see the ones that do it genuinely and the ones that might just do it because of external pressure that, oh, everyone else is doing it, so we need to do it, or, you know, someone else is requesting it, so we have to do it. But you can see also, I mean, I think Barcelona is a great example because they, they really invested in it and they really committed to it and they got the whole club behind the project. So they've done an amazing job.
4: Yeah. Probably, but also it's, I think, very important that, I mean, at the club, at the club level, at some point you need a bigger pond of talents. And that happens, and that's with, uh, with men and with soccer, women's soccer, soccer exactly the same. So mm-hmm. I think that they're doing a great job, but we also need to step up our federations to really create this infrastructure on a national level that when you're a young girl, that you really have this pathway in order yep. to go into a professional club under 15, under 17, under 19. And I think that's where you still, uh, in many parts of the world, you see discrepancy in the level of maturity when it comes to here also the amateur, let's say this feeding structure into professional
1: football. Mm-hmm. You have five minutes before the questions. Um, there's already somebody um, somebody who is uh, who is uh, ready to ask questions. Uh, well, we I would like to leave with some positive note anyway before the questions start to raise because it, it all seems like uh, the world is ending, but, uh, probably, I mean, the history has shown us that from all the crises, we always uh, come up stronger. What's the message? I mean, we're trying to get out of this. I mean, definitely, there is something to be changed. Uh, what I mean, football, the most popular sports in the world, needs to really do in just a quick word, in your opinion, to to survive this and to keep to keep up stronger after this. Uh, who wants to start? Uh, Marley, maybe?
3: Yes, yeah, no problem. Well, I think if I can put it in one word, it would be teamwork. You know, we all need to be flexible. We all need to work together. If the government has regulations, uh, we need to follow. If uh, the federations establish uh, rules for the back to play, I mean, teams need to respect it. So it's a teamwork that we hope we can uh, do together in order to to get out of the, this crisis uh, as as, as yeah, so as fast as possible. And I think that also the normal that we used to have is not going to be back the same way, you know? It's going to be different. We have improved ourselves. We have to improve the, uh, organizations and uh, also the pathway that we need to follow to get out of the crisis. But I think that then it will be not a normal, back to normal, it will be like a new normal that we will need to deal with. And we will try to do it as best as we can as a team in, i 'm talking about the whole world, all stakeholders, not only football but also organizations and other people who are also leading organizations
1: siri uh, wants to you want to give your opinion on that
3: yeah,
2: I think teamwork is a great word, Miley I think really we should we should work on that uh, well, I think really this crisis has been a big eye opener for for so many within this industry, um, and I hope it could be uh, serve as a good lesson actually. Um, and as you said, Marily, that we really understand what, that we need each other. And um, I think for many people within football, maybe on the top and the de- decision makers that they really understood that, wow, we really need the fans and, and we're, we need everyone and we need all, all parts of the chain for, for this to work. Um, so I hope this is a, a lesson that we can come stronger out of it. And uh, I mean, it's, it's tempting to make a reference back to the o- economic crisis in, in 2008, but I mean, football market has grown incredibly since then, and that economic crisis. So, well, hopefully, fingers crossed, we can come stronger out of this as well.
4: Tom? I agree. And as a brand, I include myself in that, um, in that teamwork. And i like to quote here with a little anecdote I had with the, let's say, GM of LA Galaxy, who worked in Latin America before. What happened in Latin America, everybody wants to grow, all clubs want to grow. Football is very intense. It's about hate and love, literally. Uh, there's, it's pure passion. So if you want to grow, you want to grow at the cost of your direct competitor. So I go up, you go down, basically. What is the, direct, what is in the philosophy of the MLS is quite interesting. Yes, there's this competitiveness, but they really want to grow together. So you have your rival LA Galaxy against LAFC, but their common objective is to make football bigger in order to compete against other sports. And I think that's sort of, let's say, the mindset that now football needs to really protect the entity football as a whole and really work together in, in, in surviving this and coming out better um, from politically, economically, in terms of infrastructure in all aspects. So I, I fully agree. And, and it's also about the long breath hanging in there because at some point this will be over.
2: And then just a quick question, Tom, on, on, yes. on that note. Um, I saw that Mexico now changed so that they're a closed league for a few seasons ahead. Do you think that will be something we will see more, the, the MLS model?
4: They changed, sorry?
2: They changed into a closed league, the Mexican Football League, for yes. a few seasons. So do you think that's a trend, that more leagues will do that across the world?
4: No, I don't think so. It's uh, it's really an independent, let's say, as I see what we saw, uh, let's say it's sort of still an independent uh, Mexican decision so far. so um, But maybe you have other information. I don't know. I
2: was just interested, you know, in South America since there, you know, if you had some. No, in general, though, so
4: strangely, the Mexican League works different than the Argentinian League and works different than the Brazilian Leagues.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, in apertura, Clausura, it's two halves and then with uh, the final the final tournament concepts, whereas in Brazil, Argentina, they play from January to December, so It's a little mm-hmm. bit different.
0: All right, well, that is, oh, just sorry to interrupt there, Tom. Um, that is perfect timing, that is, uh, that's 45 minutes, so it's time to move on to the Q&A phase here. And we do have, uh, uh, again, R- Rajul Sharda, who is, uh, seems to be having a question for us every episode we do, so we really appreciate it. Uh, Rajul, I'm gonna ask that you please turn on your video, and there he is. It's good to see you again, uh, ask away.
5: Uh, thank you again. Uh, so I, my question is more about your comments regarding the UEFA suspending the transfer f- fair play policy, uh, financial fair play policy. So, I mean, at the, as it was discussed, there's a huge parity among clubs. There are clubs that, you know, even in this market who can afford to sign Leo Messi. And if you look at Chelsea, they're on a signing spree. And that, that looks like there's no, not going to be stopping them soon. And uh, at the same time, we have clubs which say that surviving, what's surviving, we're always in crisis mode. Uh, What's your opinion about that? I mean, does it not affect clubs? I mean, there's a free reign for big, rich clubs to sign and do whatever they can in the next season. And at the same time, clubs are struggling for survival. Thank you
2: for the question. No, it's it's really interesting. And it's, uh, I, I mean, as I said before, I mean, we're... I think some of the decisions taken now it's kind of do, done in crisis mode and then we'll have to see the repercussions of this later and see how it actually affects the market um but you know this this that they suspended these FFP regulations I mean it is mainly for those clubs that you were mentioning the ones that really try to survive and to not you know to to punish them you know double that okay they're on the brink of you know uh, not existent anymore, should really UEFA then punish them because they cannot fulfill their budget requirements. So um, I think it was wise to do that just for the first season, but I think they're going to have to evaluate it very soon. And you see, you know, um, also those kind of exceptions to the rules. And I think after the Manchester City case as well, I think they need to go through the rules and regulations um, just to maybe close some loopholes, etc., from the UEFA side. What do you say, Marily? Uh, speaking from the federations.
3: To be honest, I leave that answer to the expert. <laughs> <laughs> Very there,
1: there is a question from uh, from Pablo Rosetti who left it at the, here in the chat. There is a rumors that the, the Mexican leagues transformed to a closed league. Is towards the two thousand twenty six merge with the MLS. Exactly no. Maybe the right person to answer that question is the is Peter, or uh, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I, I can speak to it, but I certainly can't answer it. I, I don't know that there's anyone in the world who can. Um, uh, since we've announced our ho- our, our panel, but I... not our co-hosts, uh, Claudio is, is referencing, I do work for FC Dallas in Major League Soccer. Um, And those rumors of a merger with Liga MX uh, have been around for a long time. Uh, I'm sure people uh, on the continent have seen them all the time. Um, They are just rumors. Uh, Whether whether there are actual conversations going on behind the scenes, I think there are very few people in the world who can really speak to that. Um, But I've, I've heard that rumor as well.
2: Uh, anything can happen. I mean, if COVID has shown us everything, <laughs> then it's that everything is possible.
4: <laughs> I think also what is more important, let's say that what first needs to happen is whether Comebol and Concacaf at some point they start to work together and that really the Copa America, because that's a bigger plan, that really the Copa America will be a Copa America. So there will be North and South together. South together. When it happens, that means that in a way Comebol and Concacaf are working together, Right? Now, will be working together, which right now is not the case. And then it might happen also. Uh, probably that Mexico and the U.S. will work together, although they're both, let's say, from the CONCACAF region. Nevertheless, um, yes, it's, it's quite, quite a big topic. But I think it's more that right now, there's still the discussion is much more on a high-level Cup of America than actually the Mexican and the, and the U.S. League. They have now the win with the winner, or let's say the, the, the Champions Cup. So the Mexican against the U.S. champion, they play together. Um, Mexico is still thinking like the U.S. needs to grow a little bit in level so that they're
1: equally, and then yeah, sort of like that. Can I comment on that? Please? Sure. go
6: ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, Sorry, it was uh, just a, a comment on that. That that's the thing, as uh, Siri mentioned, that anything can happen, and uh, the champions' uh, cup that now the MLS and Liga MX is considered as the first step for, a, for a, a merger in Liga MX. And also that MLS asked uh, Liga MX to be a closed league in order to start the conversations for towards 2026. But as uh, Peter, uh, Peter mentioned, it's just the rumours that you hear here in, in, in Mexico but uh, going back to the um, uh, just a- another question for for the panel and probably for for uh, Siri uh, um you you were mentioning about uh, a lessons that probably the all the stakeholders should have learned during the covid-19 uh, pandemic do you perceive that this is happening actually or do you think that uh, everybody is trying to bounce back, back to play, and then wait for the vaccine, and then everything is is gonna be almost the same. the and and the, the power powers are still in the same stakeholders uh, because everybody is talking about yes, we. Everybody is creating more digital content. However, I think it was a trend that it was already happening before the. The COVID nineteen uh, situation. So, do you do you think that it is actually happening uh, a positive change because of the, the pandemic?
2: Well, unfortunately, people tend to have a very short memory. Um, <laughs> but maybe that's very, uh, you know, uh, not a very nice thing to say about uh, main uh, uh, football governing bodies. But I, I think you know during the crisis, well, when the first kind of hit uh, i mean everyone kind of put their you know differences aside and really started working together and you could see that in all these kind of task forces i was involved in one with the women's football at uefa but also i was you know hearing from the other task forces that you know everyone just come come together from the players union to the club associations to the governing bodies and just like how do we solve this what do we do um, so i mean it's great to see that At least we saw that they can do that. There's a possibility for everyone to come together and create something and be able to work together and set their differences aside. However, if they will do that in the long run, I think it's, uh, I really don't know. Uh, I mean, I wish I had a crystal ball to reply to several of these questions, but you know, we don't, but you know, I can hope for more unity and teamwork like Marilee said, Um, but um, I'm not so sure. I don't know.
1: There was Thank a question from, from Carla, uh, I think. <laughs> uh,
2: uh, my question is, how to reinforce the work in grassroots? Uh,
3: regard, the, regarding grassroots, I can tell you as, a, as an organization, we have this uh, forward program. And this forward program uh, has increased the funds that are given to the national federations at the national level in every country. and they need to submit projects so it's not that we just uh, give the money like that they need to have ideas they need to have also uh, customized needs in their countries that they want to solve that they want to uh, address so depending on these needs is how they submit the projects this is a member association and fifa relationship regarding uh, grassroots so when they submit these uh, applications they are Reviewed uh, with the project evaluation team that can define if how much they get and also with which purposes the money uh, is going to be taken. And this also needs to include and has the option to have a, a women's uh, oriented program. So it really depends on the on the federation and what their needs are. So this is from the perspective of uh, an association that is the governing body. This is how it works for the grassroots. So the country submits their needs and then uh, follow ups with the project and then they get the money according to what they need or what they want to build or if they want to uh, invest in um, programs for development for boys girls uh, other categories So up to them to decide what they want. Thank you and thank, thank you sir. Carla for
0: the question. Um, I, I did see that uh, Rajul uh, if, if you have one more question you're more than welcome to Pop that camera back on, we've got about five minutes remaining, so uh, we'll try to make it quick to make sure we get everybody out of here on time. I've got a meeting to get to anyways, so um, Rajul, whenever you're ready. Yeah.
5: So my question was about the Qatar 2022 World Cup and its impact on the international calendar. Well, right now we saw with the coronavirus, the calendar being uh, brought to an absolute standstill and everyone had to adapt. Not quite as much as coronavirus impacted the calendar, but Qatar World Cup will impact, given that it's going to happen in November and December. December. From a sponsor's point of view, from a federation point of view, and a club point of view, how do you think uh, it will have an impact on the calendar?
3: Well, from my side, I can tell you that, obviously, as all we know has an impact, and we don't know what will happen. I mean, some uh, qualifiers were postponed, they will play in some cases in uh, a broader window so the players are available for the national team rather than twice only once but for a longer period also some uh, uh, they do need to be uh, there is not a release of players uh strip regulations because everyone knows that things can change and well it, it will need to make it happen for the for the Cup, you know to to make it qualify. so it will depend on how the situation evolves and also how flexible all the th- all the teams are on this, you know. We need to work together, and you make you need to make it happen somehow. So that's a, as an any event, it needs to happen. Um, and the road to the event, you need to manage and to do risk management assessment as well, and see how you can manage the crisis in order to to get to the point where all the teams can be qualified by the time when you need to have the work. That's what I can tell you now. But everything happens as, as you just said. Mm-hmm.
5: And uh, if you you mind uh, answering to from a club point of view, like the impact on the leagues, they have a set calendar, but it will be changed. Like what kind of an impact do you reckon will be there?
2: Well, from the club side, I think the main concern is actually related to players health um, and that the calendar will be, you know, too congested and that they don't get to rest at all. Um, So I think the main worry will be also, you know, after the World Cup, how long rest period they can get. Because usually uh, World Cup or Euros is in June and then they usually have July and August. But if you're already disrupting the the calendar in the middle of the season for many um, and then having a a break period, it's going to be difficult. So I think, you know, there has been these kind of discussions on how to do it with players health and both regulations around rest periods but also regulations. I mean, in women's football, it's been discussed because there's been so many games for, for, for the female players um, to have maybe a cap on how many national team games or how many club games they're allowed to play per season. Um, but I know that you know, uh, they're not all agreeing on this. Uh, Of course, they would would disrupt the calendar, but as I said previously, I mean, now they see that they can actually work around it. I think it was a bigger problem maybe six months ago, Uh, but now they've seen that you can be flexible and you can do a final eight or you can do something that you didn't think you would be able to. So, yeah.
0: Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Rajul. That's perfect timing. We have a minute left until our our deadline here. So I just want to take this time to thank everybody who, who joined us today and to thank our our awesome expert panel. Uh, I really enjoyed it personally. Uh, I have a feeling I'll be messaging you guys all follow-up questions on WhatsApp pretty soon uh, so thank you very much and thank you to my co-host Claudio. Um, thank you and Please join us next, uh, next time. It uh, should be another episode coming in about a month. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you very much Thank you
0: pleasure Thanks guys thanks Claudio.
4: Thank thanks. you Thanks.